Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me, we got David. The Spoop Zone. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. The Spoop Zone! <laughs> also known as Nightly. On the other end there, we got Freddy. Always coming in Spoopy. Always and forever, also known as Nighty Night. We are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over on patreon.com slash goodnightlife. That's not what they will. Okay. By pledge on Patreon, you have access to the show ad-free and as early as Monday with the post-show involved. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And before we even get to the show, I want to talk to y'all about a little streaming service called Shudder. Have you heard of Shudder? Of course you have. Who hasn't? But maybe you haven't decided to sign up just yet. Well, that's all going to about to change right now because Nightlight, a horror movie podcast, has you covered with a 14-day trial. All you have to do is just head over to Shudder.com, sign up, and type in code Nightlight. That's one word, K-N-I-G-H-T-L-I-G-H-T, all one word, all caps, and there you go. Wow. Wow. Beautiful. There it is. Enjoy the show. <laughs> but keeping things going with the month of Stephen King. Happy birthday. <laughs> uh, for Stephen King's birthday month, we decided to do this for two whole months straight, which I'm extremely excited for. That means that we're going to be covering seven Stephen King movies, with some of these being his three-hour-long miniseries and added into one of these. And also one of the three-hour-long director's cut. I'm pretty sure you guys can probably hint, hint, guess what that is. <laughs> but with all of that being said, this month is something I'm very excited for. Our first I'm going to be doing a month where we're going to have two-parters. It's a bit of a bummer, but we get tired. <laughs> <laughs> so exciting. But exactly. It's going to be a lot of fun for sure. And something that I, I forgot to mention, our patrons are actually going to get the... The two part episodes as just one whole part. Whoa. So that's a great you're value. You're going to get the whole thing as long as you go over to patreon.com slash goodnightlife and you sign up for the Weeping Prince. It is yours. It is yours. <laughs> um, but the movie that we are covering for tonight is The Dead Zone. First and foremost, gentlemen, thoughts. This movie got me really interested to checking out the novel. I feel like um, there's a lot there that probably couldn't be condensed down into movie form. And I see the threads and I want to follow it. Right. Um, Because for me, this movie feels like it's a little all over the place trying to follow different plots. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know I know back then it was a lot harder to uh, adapt a a novel to film just because of time constraints. Right. Um, Because I think nowadays we're not really afraid of pushing three hours or so um, for movies a lot of the times or even longer if it calls for it. Um, I think if you're going to adapt a novel, it'd be awesome to see it in a like a uh, TV series because I think that's a stronger platform for it. Fair enough. But um, I feel like they're doing a lot more now. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, TV has taken the throne. Um, Oh, yeah. The Haunting of Hill House. Yeah. Like, Mm. oh, my gosh. Um, but I think there's a lot of strong story points in this. Um, 
so much so that it, it actually makes me think I should check out the book. That's fair. Because I want I wanted to see more throughout this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they would provide a lot more context on what was going on through yeah. the, the story overall. But uh, man, um, how terrifying the idea of waking up one day and five years have gone by. Yeah. To me, that's, that's spooky. Terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Like, I can't even imagine. I feel like the same thing goes for like if you're like incarcerated in prison or something. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, it's you just, just like all that so time. much of the world's changed around you. Like if yeah. you're gone for 20 years or something crazy like that, like that's damn near a coma. Like yeah, that's man. crazy. Imagine going in 2005, coming out 2010 and there's Fuck smartphones nuts. and tablets and that's nuts. And it's taken over the world. Yeah. My uncle was incarcerated in 1993, I believe, yeah. or 92. And Good he year. got out of prison in 2012. No, correct. Oh, man. 2014. The world's yeah, completely, completely different. God. Like, yeah. yeah, like so much has happened. And it's just like, fuck, dude. Like the internet's bigger yeah. now. Like, <laughs> like cell phones <laughs> are smaller now, too. Like, you know, like that's how fucking culture shocking mm-hmm. could something like that be. And it's just, it's crazy to think about. But, we're not talking about incarceration. What do you think? Ah, <laughs> uh, the dead zone. Um, the dead zone! I hate to say it. It wasn't for me. There's a lot of stuff Fucking I do. No, I know, I know. Like, <laughs> people are going to hate me for this. But no, no, there's a lot of stuff that I love about this movie in general. Uh, Christopher Walken's great in everything he does. He was um, really good in this. He's, he's fantastic. And it's cool to see a younger version of himself because this is probably the youngest I've ever seen old. Christopher Walken. Yeah, yeah, that's, what I said. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But kind of like what David was saying, it's like I feel like there was a lot of stuff that was left out and it was more of like a collection of scenes that was happening. But there's a lot of like missing elements of like the storytelling right, like itself. Right, the point A to point B. Yeah. It it made it feel like there was not a really good, strong, cohesive storyline that was just jumping from situation to situation to situation. Now, I think the problem of that has to be studio, right? You know, like where I agree. Uh, you're probably dealing with the studio to condense a Stephen King novel. Yeah, it's humongous. Like, Yo, we only got budget for thick. this amount right. right here. Yeah, God, can you make this work? And they probably were aiming to pull out the most impactful moments from the novel right right? and it's like this moment has to be in the movie Um, and it's more so it probably wants you to rely on your knowledge of the novel be like you know why this is happening you know why this has impact but for us yeah like like, i i haven't read the novel either yeah and i i wish i i have but it lacks the context you need for those impactful moments and it, it all feels relatively rushed yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. I would probably have a different experience if I read the book before watching this movie. Right. And this, obviously, my first time watch, not knowing anything about it. I try to go as blind as possible. No trailers, no nothing. Uh, I know some people even warned me about like, oh, yeah, the trailer made it feel like it's a big horror movie, but it's not oh, really yeah, a horror movie. Not. Yeah. It's more of like a thriller drama. Yeah. And I would say even like kind of like a crime movie. Yeah, too. I yeah. agree. With like horror elements. But I feel like the the biggest strong points, the music. Oh, my God. Cinematography. So and good. then Christopher Walken. Yeah. Those are the three main elements that made this movie for me. And I hate to say it, too, is that this movie, I actually broke it up in two parts because I couldn't watch it all the way through. I was getting a little bit bored. That's fair. And that's no, like no, the no, first no. time that's, that's ever happened. But, as a, but I think it's the whole context of like I felt like there was stuff missing from it. Yeah. But I still appreciate the movie. I think it's really well done. I'm happy I watched it. I'm happy that's like off my bucket list because I'm trying to see all the Stephen King adaptations as well. So, oh, 
Man, we're gonna get pretty fun. close because we're gonna do that for two months, and yeah. I can't wait to see what's next. Knock out a nice like little chunk. One thing I do want to um, raise is that I think the approach of the story is such an interesting, interesting concept. At least from the approach of the film, where it's like we have Johnny's character in the end of the movie. I'm gonna skip ahead, um, where he asks um, his doctor. If you could go back in time and mm-hmm. kill Hitler, would you do it? Right, yeah. mm-hmm. and it's an interesting question because I think a lot of people nowadays would would be able to confirm that Hitler is a terrible person and caused so much damage to the world, right? And it's so easy um, looking back, right? Yeah, because hindsight's twenty twenty. But uh, I think the story, probably what the novel was trying to emphasize on, was like in the moment when you're not absolutely sure. Would you do it, right? Yeah. Um, and that is a very interesting approach that is very intriguing to me because I think we've seen our share of bads, you know, ever since. There's clearly been a bunch of bads yeah. um, that have arise, but it's an interesting concept because it's uh, it's so ambiguous on like what is right and what is wrong. Um, so I think that question overall, when Johnny asked that, that's the moment where I was like, I'm interested to check out the novel because yeah. like how do they explore that right yeah that's the ideology fair. is great in this it makes you really think about like what would you do in this situation i i completely agree with what both of you guys have yeah. said too about yeah. the film in general because like i i wouldn't say i'm in between on this movie but i do enjoy this movie a lot mm-hmm. um i very much have a good time with it for for what it is like it feels like Stephen king to me it very much does. Yeah. yeah so like you know i and i i feel happy with the context that we're getting with with the the things that we're seeing and things like that um obviously i would have loved for them to lean more into or just strictly follow the story of the killer yeah like i would have loved that like i i, I think the first half which is so damn strong and like what what, what the, the killer and the psychic abilities being utilized and things like that. Um, and like I, I remember because I've only seen this movie once before. And I remember being so bummed and let down that they found the killer like 30, 45 minutes into the movie. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man. I thought that would be the entire film. And that's I what it felt like. That would be the climax. But yeah. it just kept going. That's why I felt like it was a collection of scenes. I was just like, oh, that would have been great to like follow the killer. So it's, it's interesting. And that's why I say this is very much like Stephen King. Because Stephen King does shit like this. Yeah. Like he writes a story in one person's perspective and then kills that character <laughs> off. And now we have a whole new story in the same story. Like it's it's so it's so odd where it's like you, you think, for example, in The Shining, you're following Jack Torrance and all of a sudden it switches to where you're truly following Danny. Then he does it again in Doctor Sleep where you're following Danny and then all of a sudden you're following Abra. So it's like it's all of the same concept of this is just Stephen King. This is just how he writes. He, yeah. he, he has so many things going on in his head. It's just like I need it all out, like, <laughs> and, I, and I think that works better in a uh, in a novel versus a movie, right? Absolutely, yeah. which is why people really need to restructure his work or give it the proper platform. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, The Outsider is a perfect example of that. How that got an eight eight um, episode show mm. versus something like this, where it's just like I got to cram as much as I can in of an hour this six hundred page novel. Even yeah. though I don't think this novel is like six hundred pages, I'm I'm flab- I'm like exaggerating here but with this novel that has so many odd pages then it's just like okay 
cool, I'm going to have to like condense the hell out of this and see what the fuck's going on here and try to unpackage everything that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Because like a lot of stuff was left out of this movie that was in the novels. I would imagine. Um, It very much seems like it. Yeah. But let's jump up into this shit, man. Let's do it. The Dead Zone. Directed by David Cronenberg, which... Fuck yeah. <laughs> Released October 21st, 1983 with a runtime of one hour and 43 minutes and a budget of $10 million with wow. a box office of $20 million. Okay. So they didn't make much yeah. back, I should say. But at least they broke past even. Yeah. But that's true. A rating of 90% on Rotten. That I'm curious about. Really good. That's huge. Um, I wonder why though. Do you think it's because of the context of the novel? I think it's the context of of maybe Cronenberg, yeah, and just knowing how Cronenberg is as a director, and mm-hmm. he's just so visionary. But I don't know. Straight to the title shot and some stills of a community until we get yet another title shot. <laughs> they just needed to do two. <laughs> Fade to the Summitville uh, Summit View Public School. Johnny Smith reading a Nevermore reading Nevermore by Edgar Allan Poe to his uninterested class. The kids all get ready to leave. Him telling them to read The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, knowing that his students will uh, will like it. As he briefly explains the plot. Oh, how I wish that was my teacher. Yeah. Oh my fucking god. That would be pretty Dude, cool. Are you kidding me? Like you, you're you're telling me to read Sleepy Hollow for school, <laughs> not for fun. I'm in. I'm fucking in. Yeah, I want to see people die <laughs> in a book. <laughs> Johnny walks up the uh, walks up the stairs, greeting his girlfriend Sarah. Them joking about getting fired for kissing. He surprises her for to an afternoon of at an amusement park while riding the roller coaster. Johnny starts feeling off, holding his head. Sarah asking if he's okay. Now, we actually got more context from this earlier this evening from uh, Drew, um, who kind of did a little bit more digging inside of this movie. Uh, the headaches and things like that, based off of the novel, comes from a tumor that he wow. had. And it's just like, oh, fuck, that would be great context. Yeah. Like, Huge context that's missing. Because yeah. Yeah. my assumption was he's approaching the ability to gain his psychic abilities. That's what I filled in for the... Right. You have to fill in, in the blanks yeah. as a viewer, not knowing the book. Right. I mean, yeah. that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and you know, if, I guess if you're in a coma, I don't know what happens in a coma, but I would assume they're running tests and MRIs, like your brain patterns and things like that. So how did you not catch that? Yeah. You know? True. But I think that might be the context of the fact that it wasn't caught because we're in the movie format and mm-hmm. not the novel mm-hmm. format. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I do have to say that scene with the roller coaster and seeing his like point of view holding his head and like back on the roller coaster, great editing techniques. Yeah. It causes a lot of great suspense and thrills. Yeah. And you're like, I feel that you are getting like not woozy, but it felt like vertigo. Like, oh, yeah. 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 No, I can definitely like, see that. This is I great stuff it. because it makes the viewer feel what the character's feeling. You feel a little disorientated by the editing style of going back and forth with his face shots and then going back to the roller coaster and going through the curves and stuff like that. It's like, cool. I can understand that you were like dizzy because now I'm dizzy, but it works really well. (laughs) Yeah. I, I agree with that. He doesn't know what's wrong. Thinking it must be the roller coaster. Johnny drops off Sarah. She asks if he would like to come inside, but he declines and she like pressures him, right? Like, or not pressures him, but she like, she's like telling like, yo, like come inside. Like, you know, it's going to come get this coffee. She's like, coffee, get this coffee, coffee, man. man. (laughs) 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 Got to get the main accents in there. She, 
wa- she wonders if he's okay, and he claims that he is. They share a kiss. She asks if he would like to come inside again as it begins to rain. He denies yet again. While walking to his car, Sarah stops him, running out to kiss him, sharing that she's crazy about him. Go. <laughs> I know. Dude, get out of the rain. You know, right. take a load off, man. So I think this insinuates that he wants to wait for marriage. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, it definitely does insinuate that yeah. that he wants to wait for marriage. Because it says the line, some things are worth waiting for, right? Exactly. It's a great line. Which is a heavy yeah. line. Super yeah. heavy. So good. He tells her that he's going to uh, he's going to marry her someday, and she is into the idea. He goes to his car. Sarah shouting for him to drive carefully. Driving on the rainy road, Johnny has a slight has a slight heart of seeing the road ahead. A truck is driving on the other end. The driver falling asleep and crashing his truck. The back detaching from the front of the truck. The rig is sliding down the road towards Johnny. He tries to swerve, but it crashes into it, flipping over. That's a violent crash. The truck driver uh, runs runs over to his assistants. It's just like, whoa, a lot's happening here. What is this? Yeah. A milk truck, first of all? Yeah, I can't I like, like what, what spilled out of this truck? A lot of white, <laughs> a lot of white liquid yeah. spilling out of this truck. I don't know if it's the lighting of the shot, but I'm just like, like when I first saw it, I was like, it looks like milk. Milk? Yeah, like, I'm pretty sure it was. It has to be milk. Yeah, right. I don't know how milk is distributed or carried. But I assume it's carried in silos and trucks. They probably were like, we just got to fill this truck up with something. (laughs) For the movie. Get the cows. Bring bring them in. (laughs) Milk. Milk it is. (laughs) Guts of Sarah uh, rushing to an intensive care to check on Johnny. Sniffling at the sight of him, calling out out for him not to leave her. Promising that he's he's going to get better. Wondering if he can hear her. She reminds him that they are supposed to get married and... And for him not to leave her. Fade to uh, Wazak Wazak Clinic? Wazak? I think it's Wazak. Seems that's, like it'd be That Wezak. sounds better. Wazak. Uh, Wazak? Who knows? I don't know. I'm trying to think of like Wozniak, but it's right, just like, yeah. I don't know. Fade to Wazak Clinic. Johnny sighs awake in the hospital bed. He's greeted by Dr. Sam Wazak, explaining that he's the director and he's been staying there. He asks how Johnny feels, Johnny mentioning that his throat hurts. Wazak offers him some water, showing him... Showing slowing him down when he begins to drink it too fast then shares that johnny was in a t- uh, traffic accident i would have been like bro i'm hungry like, <laughs> like, <laughs> like this is get me a burger yeah. <laughs> dude so this scene um it reminds me this is going to be super off tangent for horror but this reminds me of the opening of metal gear solid 5 i don't know if anyone's played it but you as a character uh wake up, wake up from, from a coma yeah. and it's uh I think it's like a it's hour, phantom pain, right? Yeah, it's oh. an hour long process of you taking a first person perspective, opening from a coma, and like blurly seeing like doctors walk around. Um, so fucking Kojima, dude, make yeah. a movie already, right? You know what I'm saying? He, I mean, he loves movies, and that's yeah. why he make a movie. He does his storytelling the way he does, but um, yeah, it makes me think of that scene, and it adds at least for me emotional weight of like what it must feel like waking up from a coma and then like it's a good touch with his lips being super chapped super and chapped. dry and then yeah. he starts drinking the water and he's like slow down i um, think i'm gonna have a note carried on me at all times if yeah. i ever slip into a coma please bring chapstick <laughs> <laughs> like please it's not the business <laughs> the, johnny wonders if he's okay uh Wazak tells him that he's that he's been smashed up pretty badly. Johnny checks himself, um, asking why he's not bandaged. Wazak ignores the question, telling him that his parents are there and um, that he's going to allow them inside. His parents, Vera and Herb, um, 
are happy to see him awake, slowly approaching his his bed as they call out to his name. Vera calling it a miracle. Johnny acknowledges that he was he was lucky. Weakly weakly showing his hand without scratches. She kisses his hand, speaking that God has brought him back. Wazak steps in, reminding her of what they spoke of prior. Johnny doesn't understand. Wazak shares that he's been in a coma. He asks for how long. Herb tries to sh- uh, shoo away the question by claiming that they are glad that- to have him back, and that's what matters. Johnny asks again, Vera uh, chiming in, telling him that it's been five years. He asks about Sarah. She shares that she's married to another man. He can't believe it, as he turns over and cries. That's so heartbreaking. Fuck. That's yeah. a true horror in this movie right here. Bro, like, I, can you imagine? Dude, I did imagine. I didn't want well, to. It's horrible. <laughs> that like, is heartbreaking, My man. God. Because it's like, yeah, like, I lost five years of my life, but also it's like... It it's all like, I know. Yeah. You feel like just yesterday you were with someone and you were like, we're going to get married. And then it's like, they married someone else. Right. Like imagine <sighs> that. That's heartbreaking. And that's your most recent memory too. Yeah. It's just that night that where they had so much fun. Yeah. That really sucks. <sighs> he shouldn't. He shouldn't have waited until marriage. Moral of the story. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, Johnny is now asleep. A nurse filling up his room with fresh linen. She, lean, she uh, leans over to him, noticing that he's sweating. So she pats him dry with a towel. He uh, fierce, fear. Oh my gosh! He ferociously grabs her hand, startling the nurse and myself as <laughs> as she uh, as he opens his eyes in a gaze, then looks over his shoulder, seeing a young girl named Amy screaming in the corner as, as her room is burning. He calls out to the little girl, then looks back at the nurse, saying Amy's name. She fearfully tells him that's her daughter's name. He continues sharing that he just he just saw her, telling her that it isn't too late. Looking back at Amy, he calls out to her as her room explodes with the flames. I love this. This is the, I think the strongest scene in the movie or one of them by far. Yeah. Because it really shows the impact of like how stressful it is for him to have these psychic visions and, um, and to be put in there because I think the context of him being in Amy's bed as he's envisioning it and feeling surrounded by the fire. Yeah, Yeah. man. So it gives you the context of every time he probably has a psychic vision, he's, He's in the moment as well. And it's so interesting because the thing is that makes me intrigued by this. We see that his visions are mainly by touch, right? But I have a theory that it's actually by distance because Mm. he was sweating when she came into the room as if he was already in the process of seeing this vision. Mm -hmm. And I think when he touched her, it just brought it completely to life for him. I think you're right because later on when he tries to utilize his psychic abilities he touches someone to have a direct correlation of a vision to them but with amy's mother she doesn't know the fire is going on right Right. so i think you're right on that yeah and you were gonna say something pretty sorry i mean one of the big things for me for this movie that i really 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 enjoyed is that you just brought it up right now is that he's in the vision itself so he's living in the situation of what's about to happen Mm -hmm. rather than him just having the vision of what's going to happen right he's actually in it yeah. Which and is I like, think, that's more impactful. It's like you're living through the situation that yeah. could happen. And I think what makes this so intriguing is the fact that when he has these particular visions and things like that, I think he definitely had like the most powerful aspect of the shining, right? right. Um, 
bro, that's pretty much all this is. And Stephen King and his fucking psychics. I don't know. He, just, he loves psychics. Yeah, because <laughs> I was going to bring up, I felt like this scene feels very Stephen King. Yes. And I was wondering if I was right in thinking that. Yes, and you are right. Absolutely. Like, this this movie very much feels that way. And it, it, it has, or this scene, excuse me, it has this kind of, like, virtuoso behind it of when he's like reacting and he knew exactly what to do like i know this is your daughter i know she's in trouble i know this is happening right now leave Mm -hmm. go save your kid yeah um so it's it's super interesting turning back to the nurse shouting that amy's um screaming that it isn't too late um cut to the nurse i also wanted to mention that uh i like the way that they show you how hot it is in there by boiling the fishbowl yeah, yeah, it's a cool fact. So, oh my god! Yeah, part of the sh- uh, the episode starting, you were in the bathroom, and I was talking with Drew. I'm like, dude, that's crazy that the fish is the fishbowl is boiling like boiling. that poor fish. Like it's crazy. And also the uh, what I think has a very strong impact is the stuffed bunny and its ears curling up yeah, from being oh burnt. Oh my god! Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Cut to the nurse making it to the burning house. A firefighter handing Amy to her, and, and uh, as she embraces her, while they put out the fire, uh, Wayzak is coaching Johnny on the steps of recovery, starting with his body. Johnny has a, a headband, um, asking if he's going to have to live in a wheelchair. He tells Johnny not permanently and not for long with his help. Wayzak stands, letting him know that that his therapy will be long and painful, but promises that he will walk. Johnny thanks him, grabbing his hand tight enough, seeing another vision. Of but of war. He twitches as the violence between the two sides continues. He looks back at Wayzak, whispering, the wolf is loose. Quote, unquote. Um, Wayzak asks if he's all right. Johnny c- going back to the war scene, whispering that they are n- that they are no match for them. He He's gripping on Wayzak's wrist as he tries to wiggle away. Johnny continues his whispers, quote, unquote, horses, fire. An explosion during the scene, a group of Polish refugees trying to flee, a woman wailing and passing her son to another on a carriage. It leaves the woman behind as she cries, Johnny commenting that the boy is safe. Johnny tries to get up and falls to the ground. Wazak checks on him, asking about what he's, what was he saying, asking who's he talking about. Johnny comments that uh, Wazak is the boy. He's confused. He tells Wazak that his mother is still alive and that she survived. Wazak doesn't believe that it is possible, commenting that she's dead. Johnny continues that he knows her name and where she lives. Wazak commenting on the impossibility, asking how he knows this. Johnny tells him that he's scared, asking what's happening to him. One thing I appreciate about this film, since they are constrained on time, is that we don't go through this remote of uh, like, oh, no one believes him that he has psychic abilities. Like, There's a strong proof of evidence here. With his doctor specifically, right? And it's something that, like, how can you, like, dismiss that? That he, this doctor has thought that his mother died a long time ago. It's like, I know her name. I know where she's located. And he looks her up. And lo and behold. Confirms it. Yeah. And that's one of those things, like, you can't dismiss it. It's literally, like, how would you know know if you didn't have these abilities? Right. I I like how quickly we know that these abilities are real Real. thing yeah you know yeah we don't waste time right we don't waste time with that for sure cuts away zach looking at a number on a paper then calls it a woman picks up the phone he's hesitant asking if if uh joanna is there they grab her 
Speaking in Polish, she picks up the phone asking who it is. Wazak doesn't say anything. He begins to cry. Wazak and Johnny are sitting at the table. Wazak trying to explain um, explain that he has either a new or old human ability. And I love how he says that. He's like, you have a new ability or a really old, old one. one. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. An orderly knocks on the door, placing some food in front of Johnny. Wazak commenting that he's trying to get him on his feet in a day or two. Johnny is picking at the food, asking what's on his mind. Wazak tells him that he was right about his mom. He asks Wazak if he talked to her. Wazak shaking, uh, shaking um, that he didn't, explaining that he, he couldn't um, when she came to the phone. Johnny asks why. Wazak comments that it, um, it wasn't meant to be. I would have been like, because motherfuckers, she hasn't talked to me in like over 50 something years. Yeah. Like, I was really shocked to hear that. It's like, I thought my mom was dead all the time. What the fuck am I supposed to say? Yeah. <laughs> I got to think. I just was checking to yeah. see if it was real. Yeah. <laughs> and it was. Now I can think. <laughs> Cut to Johnny walking. Uh, Cut to Johnny working on walking with his trainer, motivating him until Johnny is done. This trainer, man. Yeah. Kind of a dick. He was, yeah, he's just like, come on, I need another. Yeah, I he's like, come on, like, use, you your, legs. Me eight use steps. your legs. He's like, I counted 10. He's like, well, fuck off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pretty much, he's just like, I'm going to make a run around this building and I'll be back. Yeah, it's that era where people just thought if you just like speak, push people or, yeah, maybe, or you yeah. just yell at them, they'll just do. They'll be With, able to right, do the they'll be impossible. able to be able to kind of get through this. Yeah. His uh his trainer tries to convince him to do more but he doesn't want to and his trainer goes off to run instead. Sarah comes out of the clinic, she calls out to him. He's surprised to see her. She wasn't sure if she if she should have come or not, but he smiles that it is all right. Inside, Sarah's by the fire, Johnny's sitting and he comments about her hair being shorter. Yes, yeah, what 5 years do. Um she comments on his weight loss, he jokes about being in a coma with a smirk. Um she gets serious, telling him about her being married. He claims that he heard, asking if she still teaches. She shakes her head, adding that a mo- that she's a mother now, calling it a full-time job. Um, I would love to be a stay-at-home dad. I know I've said that many of times. Uh, Johnny didn't Sam. know uh, know that she ha- uh, had kids. She apologizes, thinking that Herb would have uh, would have told him. Uh, I keep calling him like Herb and then Herb, <laughs> and I- I'm sure it's Herb, like Herbert. Yeah, but. I don't know why I'm saying it like that, <laughs> but Herbert uh, calling her so um, calling her son Denny. Um, what a dumb name! <laughs> oh, <whoops. laughs> did I think that out loud? <laughs> what a fucking stupid name to name your kid after a restaurant. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, how old Denny is. She happily tells him seven months. He chuckles that uh, he's happy for her. Sarah takes off her takes her coat off. That was a big ass ten month baby though. It's super cute. It's so cute. Chunky babies are the cutest. So cute. In the cooing, oh my god, my life. Sarah takes her coat off before sitting down, pleading for him to not look at her like that. He shares that his feelings haven't changed. She asked him um, why. Uh, why did it have to? Um, excuse me. She asked, "Why did it have to happen like this?" Hmm. He calls it bad luck as he beats her. As oh my god, as, as he beats her. <laughs> excuse me. Uh, as she beats herself <laughs> up for allowing him to leave during the storm, he reminds her that it was his idea, calling himself a jerk and bursting into laughter. She leans back, telling him that everyone uh, is talking about him because he's the. He, because of his newfound power of the second sight. Zarek asks if it is true. He tells her um, that he keeps thinking about the, this particular line, quote, as he was a bachelor and in nobody's debt, nobody troubled their head about him anymore, end quote. Wow. Yeah, it's Perfect, uh, magnificent. Yeah, it's, in a great, it's a great line for <clears throat> presenting a, a setup of ideologi- 
ideology. Uh, ideology? Ideology that's to come. Thank right. you. Yes, I agree. Uh, she asks if he's afraid of that, but um, it is it is what he wants. Then whispers, "It's softer." As he as she stares, cut to Sarah leaving, stopping stopping her car to sob for a moment before continuing. Wazak denies Johnny's request to speak uh, speak to the press. Johnny commenting that he wants to get it get it over with. Wazak tells him that they um, that you don't know. Excuse me. Wazak tells him that you don't know where this will lead once you start. He rebuttals to Wazak um, that it is it has already begun. So get out of my way. <laughs> Bitch. <No. laughs> Cut to Johnny speaking with the group as a press about his first vision. Clement um, Dardis raises his hand asking what happened to the girl. Johnny tells him that he believes that she's fine. Clement continues questioning if if he believes that this is a psychic experience. Johnny tells him that he, that, um, he doesn't. Clement Ask if he if he's had this before. Johnny hasn't. Clement asking for a demonstration. Asking if he has a prediction of Greg Stilson unseating Senator Proctor. Johnny doesn't know who he's speaking about. He looks back at Wayzak. He tells him he tells them that this um is enough questions. I actually love this. I actually love the plant of um Greg now. Cause it kind of gives us context. It's like, okay, we're gonna see this again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like that. Like it, well, it kind of does. It kind of feels like that, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like it would be this personable. Yeah, because right? I only realize this moment has significance in retrospect. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I feel like this is one of those scenes where it's like reading the book would have helped a lot too, mm-hmm. of knowing the whole context of what's to come. Sure. But I do love the back and forth between him and the reporter. Oh, I feel this like is great. it was a great scene of just like yeah, this is great, great acting. This movie is actually extremely well acted. Yeah. Extremely well acted, and and, and it, it's. It's quite incredible to see Christopher Walken in Do such his a thing. role. Like, this yeah. is great. You see why he's one of the greats now. I mean, absolutely. Always. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The press blabbers of more questions. Clement shouting for them to uh, wait a minute so Johnny can answer. But Johnny tells him that it, that he doesn't know how um who's he's t- who he's talking about. Clement challenges him. Johnny shares that he touched her, um he touched her hand. Clement sits next to him, demanding for him to touch his hand, mocking the question of his house being on fire. Wazak um asks if he would like for him to stop, but it is fine. He allows him to continue. Johnny asks Clement if he wants to if he. Uh, ask him what does he want to know um, if he's going to die or he's kind of like kind of mocking it so what right? do you want to know you're going to die we're all going to die <laughs> yeah we're all going to die yeah. <laughs> Clement starts looking nervous Johnny grabbing his hand bringing up his sister's suicide damn fuck but it's like that's how you make people believe yeah you know god damn Clement has had enough telling Johnny to let go he tries to stand Johnny pulls him <clears> back <throat> down calling him a fucking freak as Wazak steps in his parents watching at home crying and gasping that they're hurting him I thought Vera was a little much though yes okay like I'm glad I wasn't on like yes. by myself here I thought she was a little much yes I'm just like you're dramatic yes like, <laughs> about around the same age Johnny goes to the hospital <laughs> to like, see his mom hugging <laughs> <laughs> his dad on the way in he limps over to Vera she calls out to her he tells he tells her that it's him. She tells him to leave his boots outside the house so he doesn't track the snow. Mm. Johnny begins to cry, playing along. He grabs his mom's hand, kissing it. Her breathing rails, t- and then she dies. That is uh that is a very dramatic scene. Yes, it is. It's such I, a fast sequence where you can't really so have fast. that emotional weight. It's yeah, like, it was such a fast scene, and I I I do not like this scene. That's I, my boy. Leave him alone. Oh, okay, I'm in the hospital right. bed. 
wipe your boots. Uh, dead. So, it's like, whoa, what? Just Hold like, on. What this, is, this is like one minute. <laughs> one minute sequence of you just dying. This is the first moment where I, I had uh, notions of thinking like the novel probably very much deeply goes into their relationship. She was probably very religious, Absolutely. very overbearing. Thus, he wanting to wait till marriage to have sex. Right. I mean, yeah, and, and we we very much know that they're very religious mm-hmm. based off of like his mom's context. Exactly, got into the conversation. Um, the and I and I feel like that's a relationship that's probably extremely explored and maybe complicated because um, she seems overprotective and um, a little extreme with the religion that she practices. And um, when I saw this scene, I was probably thinking there's probably a lot that was left unsaid, and yeah. he realizes that he'll. Never get to yeah anymore. I mean, I have the same gripe with uh, it, chapter one and two, mm-hmm. leaving so much very important information inside the book. Like, for example, and for real quick, everybody, slight spoilers for it, chapter two, if you haven't seen it. But for example, how um, Beverly's husband was kind of like a five minute process mm-hmm. when we weren't really we understood the weight, but we weren't able to feel the weight, right? How like, bad it was. Exactly. And that is a huge chunk of that novel. Like, I would imagine, That yeah. shit is horrible. And same thing goes with, um, uh, not Ben, Mike. Mike stayed in Derry the whole time. And that's all in the novel of how he would go and like pretty much fuck up these crime scenes Damn. and shit in the novel because he would always be there piecing it together as Pennywise being the one doing this. So he never forgot. Got it. Pennywise. And everyone else did. And that 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 is completely just kind of like thrown away in chapter two where yeah. it's just like Mike always knew. And honestly, Mike was putting a bunch of shit. But anyway, <laughs> so that's the point. We're not talking about it in chapter two. Sheriff uh, Bannerman pulls up on Smith's residence. He introduces himself to Herb and asks to come inside. He compliments Herb's Christmas tree. Thanks. Um, Herb asks, uh, what can you do him for? Johnny is standing in the doorway. Bannerman mentions that he's here to see him, introducing himself to, and shaking Johnny's hand. Herb calls out the words Castle Rock, forcing Bannerman to mention his response of, of coming to him about the Castle Rock killer. Fuck yeah on Castle Rock being Everywhere. thrown in yeah. this and it's surrounding most Stephen King novels. It's fucking fantastic. It's really cool. It's so cool. It's so cool. It's it's brought up in Shawshank Redemption. It's brought it's 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 fucking fantastic. It's brought up in Stand By Me. Like it's, <sighs> it's great. I love this. Um he's not sure if, if Johnny's abilities are true. Johnny sighs and walking away frustratedly. Bannerman asks for help if it is true. Herb thinks it's a good idea. Johnny stares at him, shushing him. Uh, Bannerman tells him to think about it, pressuring him with with the thought of women um, met with terrible deaths. He continues that he's um, he's at his wit's end and has nothing, thinking Johnny could help him. Johnny tells him that he made a mistake. Bannerman gives his condolences on Vera's death, utilizing her religion to persuade Johnny. And it's it's actually kind of interesting because I right away I didn't know Vera died when she was like ugh. Oh really? Yeah, like it, it, it didn't feel like it because it was so fast. Yeah, it was like, sure. did she pass out? And then, like, <laughs> Johnny smirks, yelling that yelling that um, quote unquote God allowed him to um, get hit by a car or get hit by a truck, be placed in a coma for five years, and upon waking up, to um, he lost his girlfriend and job. Yep. The sheriff understands, reiterating that he knows where he where he um he is if he changes his mind. He leaves his partner Frank, asking um how how it went. 
uh, or he leaves. Then he meets up with his partner, Frank, excuse me, um, asking how it went. Smirking that he knew it, it wasn't going to go well as they get into the car. Johnny takes some pills, Herb telling him about the murders that happened during this, his time in the coma. He then com- um, complains that he wishes his mom was there so she can talk uh, talk it into him and thinking that he's um, thinking that he's not much help. Johnny hugs him. Herb asking if he wants to talk about it. Herb asks uh, if his abilities brings him happiness. Johnny speaks on when it happens. It feels like he's dying. Damn, Jesus. He looks out He looks out into of the window, commenting on the snow. Cuts to Johnny working, a car pulling up in his driveway. He looks out of the window at Sarah coming to his door. He um, hangs his cane, greeting her outside as she pulls out, um, pulls out Denny from the seat. The baby looks adorable. So cute with that little suit. Yep. Suit on, man. It, it's so cute with that little snow suit. Uh, reminds me of a Christmas story. Uh, she tells him he looks good, commenting on um, on no longer having crutches. He smiles that he still has the limp, then asks if that's Denny. He offers them to come inside since it's cold outside. She places Denny down for a nap. Johnny on the gr- uh, Johnny on the ground in the living room. Sarah sits next to him, reminding him. What he said last time when they were alone, wondering if they have waited long enough. She starts unbuttoning her shirt, Johnny kissing and embracing her. Wow. I think this is a really good follow-up scene after he um, he expresses his anger over what God gave him. Yes. When he was a person of religion and he, you know, he did what he believed was the right way to practice. Yeah. And to be... Then to do all of that, yeah, and then to go in a coma and lose the opportunity, uh, it shows that he's like, "Why would I wait for marriage anymore? Like, right. I'm gonna follow my desire." Right. Which I think is a really good follow up scene to the previous one where he was speaking I, to the sheriff. I love that. That's yeah. beautifully said. It, it's so it's so great that you even said that because I I, I at first like I was putting blame on the situation mm-hmm. um, where I was just like, "Whoa, your husband." Yeah. Right. What's going on here? You got your this kid in the other out. room. You didn't even close the door. It was always Johnny. Like it was always Johnny. It was always you. I've always loved you. Yeah. Um, but it's it, it was just interesting. Yeah. And I definitely agree with you on what you're saying there and how Johnny feels in this situation. We're mm-hmm. just like, I feel abandoned by God. Yeah. Therefore, this is what I'm gonna do in return. Yep. I'm gonna follow my desires. I'm gonna follow what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question that I definitely want to save for the post show. All right. Which you guys can get on patreon.com forward slash good night life. Um, that's not with a K. That's not with a K. <laughs> um, but the question that I do have, keep this in the memory bank, is why do you think Johnny never used his powers on Sarah? Because I'm right. very curious about that. All right. Johnny is sitting and laughing with Denny as uh, Sarah's in the kitchen. He's like, yeah, this is my son now. Herb <laughs> comes back into the room, placing That's the booster weird. seat for Denny. He asks what they've been up to. Johnny jokes that they've been making bookcases. <laughs> yeah, you have. Um, she laughs, <laughs> offering him to sit down. Sarah brings in the food. Herb praying over the, their food. Very briefly. Uh, he comments about it feeling good to have a family eating around the table again. She is getting ready to go. Johnny asking if he's going to see her again. Sarah tells him that uh, that he won't he won't like. Oh, excuse me. Sarah tells him that he won't like today, telling him to go inside and escape the cold. He is about to say something. She stops him and telling him not to say it. He smiles and says goodnight while kissing her before she goes. That one last kiss, though. Yeah. One last kiss. He was about to see those three dangerous words right there. And she's like, <laughs> don't say it because I can't hear it right now. Yep. I just can't. 
<laughs> that little baby. Like, if that little baby would have been a little bit older, that little baby would have like, what's going on. Mommy was kissing Santa <laughs> Claus. And like, meanwhile, Irv is, is inside watching the news on the, on the Castle Rock Killer. He tells Johnny that he's going to bed. Johnny sits down watching the sheriff, asking for help finding the killer as he's looking in the camera, pretty much talking to Johnny. Uh, the reporter adds that nine se- that not- nine separate murders have been attributed to the killer dating back three years ago. Trigger warning, everybody. This trigger warning is mainly specific to rape. And Johnny holds his head as he watches the horrible de- uh, depictions of the rape murder of a 15-year-old girl with multiple stab wounds. Herb comes back into the room drinking some milk as he watches. Johnny whispers that he's going to uh, help him. Cut to Bannerman. Uh, Frank and Johnny walking through a, a wet tunnel where the 15-year-old girl was murdered. Fucking, like, wow, Frank. Jesus Christ, like yeah. the way didn't I bring this up a few episodes ago where like there was a guy, a cop who literally would do this. He would kill people and he would investigate oh, yeah, his yeah. own murders. Exactly. Yeah, it was like the I, best cover ever. Yeah. I and mean, it's fuck. Yeah, it's right here, God right damn. in front of us. Um they believe that the killer was waiting for her at the end of the corner. The kids um like to use use this as a shortcut for the school. Matterman comes up comes to the spot where the CRK stood, finding in, finding a bunch of cigarette butts, wondering if this helps. I wonder if, like, Frank was just like, I'm going to plant these here, sprinkle little Ooh, little butts over here. I wonder. You know? See, that's the scary part of it. I know. Like, it's fucking scary, dude. You, 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 have to, you must get more of that in the novel, I would imagine, because this must be, like, such a huge chunk of the whole story, right? The, the murder yeah. mystery. Um, and... I would the, assume this was at least half the story, yeah. just how this is half the movie. The fact that it, it's uh, three and a half years of consistent murders and that they just can't even yeah. get any sort of evidence to the fact that they had to rely on Johnny. Like it must have been he must have been as smart as that where he would sprinkle yeah. false evidence. Maybe right. because like, I, I mean, is forensics available at this time? I'm sure. Some I, would, sort I would assume of to an extent, yes, yeah. but not not to the point of like DNA. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I would assume that it's like to an extent of just like, oh fuck, cigarette butts. Yeah, like, like right. you know, like it's it's like that joke that Dave Chappelle used to say when he was just like, oh my god, hit hit this guy who who I broke into their house or whatever. Let me just sprinkle a little bit of crack and blame it on a black guy, and then like just keep I on going. <laughs> Johnny asks if he's um if he has something that. Uh, Johnny asks if he has something that uh, he might have touched or worn. Frank hands Bannerman the package with the Marlboro pack, him handing it to Johnny. He caresses it, feeling it for a moment. They uncomfortably wait. Johnny looks around for a moment and then walks around trying to get a sense, sniff, uh, sniffing um, that he got nothing. Um, he thought that he thought he felt something. Bannerman tells him that uh, tells him that's fine, and at least he tried. He's like. <gasps> Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, yeah, I was like, uh, I thought you were in the middle like, of something. He was just like, bro, don't that so raving me. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> uh, dispatch calls for Bannerman telling him that they found another body. They head over to the location of the body surrounded by the press, asking questions that they've uh, continued to ignore. Now, this totally felt like a spree killing type of situation, mm-hmm. right? Where it's just like, all right, I'm going to kill her. And then I'm going to go over here in this gazebo and I'm going to kill her. So I had thought. I was anticipating that the reveal would have been Sarah. That would have been fucking oh, wow, nuts. right? Yeah. yeah, and it would have really gave Johnny a reason to follow through with this. Yeah, and, that's true. That and, would have been great. And then it—you should write a book. 
Yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, but it also says sets up the like consequence of her being committing adultery, you know, in that right, context right. and all that. And yeah. but I'm surprised it didn't go that way. Yeah, no, yeah, you're right. It didn't. Um, we do get, we do get. <laughs> you're, caught. Right. you're right. That you're right. Did but not it happen. Um, but it would have been great. Um, like they wonder girl. if if anyone who excuse me, they wonder if if anyone knows who she is. Frank lifting the blanket so he can take a message from our sponsors. And we're back because Frank lifted the blanket to see this dead lady. Fucking Frank, you fucking freak. Like, <laughs> he knows her, identifying her as Elma Farchette, who works at the Coffee Pot Cafe. Wow. Like, you're you're just extra confident right now, aren't you, Frank? Yeah, honestly. Like, he's mad confident. Like, you got this fresh body here, and you're just confident. The Earlier that day. Earlier that day. Yeah. And that's nuts. Uh, do you, you okay, Freddie? Yeah. Sure? 100%. Okay. If it's a phone call, you can take it. You can leave if you need to. Okay. Uh, a reporter asked John asked about Johnny being involved, Bannerman telling Frank to make them leave. He shoes them away, Bannerman telling um, telling him that nobody comes up uh, up there with them. Johnny goes over to Alma, excuse me, removing uh, removing her glove and holding her hand. He gasps as he vi- uh, visions Alma walking, a man greeting her. She asks what he's doing in the gazebo. He tells her that um, he's waiting for her, asking for her to smile. Johnny... What? Uh, Johnny saying that she knows him. Uh, he looks over behind um, behind the man's back as he continues talking to Alma. The CRK asks for her to come up up there with him. Johnny stands up, repeating that she knows him and that uh, she isn't scared. Alma walks walks up walks up there to the man, asking what he wanted to show her. He wraps his arm around her, opening his coat his coat pocket, having her look at the scissors hiding inside the pocket. He pushes. He put she pushes, excuse me, and asks him to let go of her. He punches her, ripping off her clothes, exposing her breast. The man takes his hat off, showing that it is Frank. Um, Johnny asks for him to uh, wait as the scissors plunges down. The fact that the killing weapon are, is scissors, whoa, terrifying. That's this was such a hard scene to scary. watch. Yeah, and like I said, the thing that makes this whole entire thing very interesting and very impactful. Is that he's not looking at a vision. He's being a part of the situation. Yeah, he's there. And he can't do anything about it. He brings right. that up. He's like, he's witnessing this in real time for himself. Yeah. And that's Fuck. the most interesting part of this whole entire movie is like, his visions are not just visions. They're like yeah. events, experiences. Exactly. And you realize the the weight it has on him right. because he yeah. even proclaims afterwards, he's like, I just stood there and let it happen. Him thinking right, that right. he could have changed he the path. Because exactly. it's so real right. to him. But yeah. I think there's great cinematography here when it comes to um, the, the silhouette of the face mm-hmm. and cutting back and forth between past and present. And you see Dodd like look back as right. he's like, he knows her. Yeah. And you just see a shot of him looking back when you don't realize the reveal yet. You know what's fucked up? What's if that? he would have agreed to do this sooner, probably that 15-year-old girl yeah, and, and, the, this, woman. and this woman, Alma... They probably would have both still been alive if yeah. they helped out sooner. And and I that's why I thought Sarah was going to be one of the victims because I yeah. thought that would have pushed him to to the agree edge. to help because yeah. he would have felt so much regret of 
if only I had said yes, I could have saved Sarah, you know? Right, So exactly. in that similar context. Yeah. Johnny is back, falling to the ground, Bannerman helping him up. He tells Bannerman that he saw his face and watched him kill Alma. Johnny says that it is Frank Dodd, his partner. Bannerman doesn't understand. He calls up Frank, but no answer. Yup. He's just straight up gone. He dipped. He dipped as immediately. As soon as he said he knows her, he's like, I am going to leave now. Yeah. Like, yo, other cop. Stay here. Like, like, I gotta go. Really, really dumb move because, like, you <laughs> at that point, you it's your word against his. Right. And I think people would uh, probably end up believing a, a someone from law enforcement over someone that claims that they're psychic. Exactly. Yeah. yeah I, I would have been like, what the fuck, you liar? But the moment like, you like, ran and you took your partner's patrol car, your credibility. Like, yeah. man, that is so yeah, sus. Yeah, exactly. You're super su- suspicious after that. Another officer letting him down that he just he just took off um, in the sheriff's car. Johnny claiming that he saw his face. Cuts to Bannerman and Johnny pulling up to Frank's house. He tells Johnny to stay there. Johnny sees Frank looking down at, at them from, uh, from the window above. He comes up to the sheriff of Bannerman knocking on the door telling Johnny to stay put. Frank's mother opens the door telling Bannerman that Frank isn't there. Bannerman points out his mom was a straight G. She was like, I'm protecting my son. <laughs> Bannerman points out um, out that his car is there and she tries to cover for Frank. Johnny speaking up that he's um, that he saw him in the window. I would have, if I was his mom, I'm like, who the fuck are you? Give <laughs> <laughs> fuck who you saw in the window. That was my husband. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> Frank goes into the bathroom, locking himself inside. Bannerman forces himself inside the inside the house. Frank gets ready. Um, gets ready behind the door, and he's so calm. Mm-hmm. Like he just knows, like, like this is it. Yeah, like I, I have a plan. Frank's mom tells Johnny to leave him alone. He grabs her hand, officially knowing that um, she knew of Frank's slayings all along. She calls Johnny the devil sent from hell. She snatches her hand back. Johnny limps upstairs. He's like, "All right, so I'm going." I this leads me to believe even more so that love the lighting. By the way, sorry, what was that? I well, I love the lighting. Oh yeah, yeah it's like the green, gorgeous. Yeah, um, this so leads good. me to believe though there is more context probably in the novel about the relationship between Johnny, his mother, and religion. Yes, because, and I would imagine this sentence has a lot of impact, impact for him. Absolutely, and who knows how Johnny's mother reacted to his psychic abilities in the novel? Maybe she thought it was. Either a gift from God or or maybe she even thought it was a gift from God, right? Yeah, maybe. I I think she did. Well, I would have imagined that she thought it was blasphemy, right? Or and then like this this statement carries on to maybe a conversation in the novel that his deceased mother had. But who knows? I could be completely wrong. That's just speculation. Because the reason why I think otherwise is because of what his dad says when he tells him to help the cops Mm. with his his ability and him wishing that his mom was there to convince him to help them with his ability. That is true. So, um, because I feel like if it was the other way around, she would tell him like, "Don't, don't use it." Yeah. Like, don't, don't do it at all. Yeah. But. Yeah, uh, they are slowly searching for Frank. Frank is still in the bathroom, sitting in the tub, placing his. Oh fuck! <laughs> All right, I gotta read this slower. <laughs> uh, Frank is still in the bathroom, sitting in the tub, placing the scissors down, holding his hands over his head, opening his mouth, forcing himself down on the scissors. Oh my God. That's intense. Jesus Christ! The what a shot! Sight. This too. It's oh like, my God! Uh, this right here was just like. This is 100% Dude. all Cronenberg. Mm. This is Cronenberg. 
right here. Meanwhile, Bannerman and Johnny are inside of his uh, inside of his room, slowly approaching the bathroom door. Banner calls out a, calls out to Frank, trying to listen before kicking the door in. Frank is dead in the tub, but twitching from his wounds. Uh, Johnny opens the. Uh, it's nuts that scene too. It's just like sticking out half in. It's it's gnarly as fuck. It is gnarly. Um, Johnny opens the door to the hallway. Frank's mom grabs a gun from his holster. She fires at Johnny, striking him, then at Bannerman. But he shoots her instead, leaving her uh, to die dramatically over the steps. She's like, ah! ah yeah. Ah, you could totally <laughs> see the blood pack under, under her sweater, too, on her stomach. It's kind of just explodes. <laughs> just like, relax. Like, <laughs> like, die already. What's wrong with you? It's the hand between so- the bars for me. <laughs> I don't know what's up like with the old out. ladies in That's this movie. That's exactly dying. what I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> she was so dramatic. Waysack comes to meet with Johnny, allowing Waysack to come in. They sit down. Johnny wondering if his dad uh, told him where he is. Herb told him. Waysack adding that they are worried about him. Johnny admits that he's taken care of himself. Waysack reminding him that he's still his doctor and that he um, has to stay in contact with him. He asks about the, the wound. Johnny sharing that it sharing that it went through right through him. He uh, and pretty much he just been like it grazed him pretty much. Yeah. Uh, he uh, holds his head. Wazak um, asks if he has the he- if the headaches are getting worse. Johnny whispers that he gets them three or four times a day. He gives Johnny some uh, new medication, but he doesn't want them, saying that he's not getting better, knowing that he's getting worse. Probably because you got a fucking tumor and no one's like checking you out for real. That's true. Like I mean, come on, bro. Like you, you have this fucking coma doctor who's <laughs> checking you out for other shit, for your right. psychic abilities, and yet you're over dying from a tumor. Damn, my god. Yeah. Wazak acknowledges, sitting next to him, going over his research in psychic phenomena. I wonder. I wonder if he did know about the tumor, and by by him, I mean uh, Johnny. And what mm. if he was going to tell that to Sarah instead of "I love you." Oh, that's been interesting. Like, oh, that's a like, great concept. I have a tumor. Yeah, and that I, moments like this. What if? Yeah, yeah, because you know? he very much understands, which is it's about to come up that he is he's dying. He's dying. Yeah, yeah, and he understands that each time this ability, when he utilizes it, it's it gets worse and worse and worse right. for his body. Mm-hmm. Um, he found several cases like like. Like his, um, that have been documented and all pattern is the same. As the visions grow stronger and more powerful, the body weakens, but he knows that it is killing him. Not Carrie. Um, Johnny smirks, wondering how long he has to live. Excuse me. Wazak believing that he uh, can reverse the process, asking for him to come back uh, with him to the clinic. Johnny doesn't want to, but Wazak pleads so he can protect him, needing him um, to be in a controlled environment. Johnny gets up, wanting to show him something. He opens a door, showing letters and packages from strangers that he that um, have lost things, but they aren't open. Johnny, knowing that all they want is is the same thing: reassurance, love, and help. Things that he cannot provide. Adding that his dad gives him this burden and he just allows it to pile up. Wazak wonders why he kept all of them. Johnny excuses that as as Johnny excuses as him not being able to live his life outside of his home, calling his his home a controlled environment and that he's alone and safe. Cut to Johnny assisting a girl reading. She stops when she hears her mom's horn outside. She, uh, he walks he walks her out. A man coming up to his door calling to 
calling to him, he introduces himself as Roger Stewart, asking to speak with him for a moment. Johnny allows him inside, offering offering him to sit down. He asks Roger what he wants. He tells Johnny about his son, Chris, needing help. Sharing that he's been highly recommended, Johnny uh, wonders what's wrong with Chris, but Roger doesn't know, claiming that he's bright, but he doesn't want to do anything, calling him shy. No, bro, your son just doesn't like the shit you like, my guy. (laughs) That's literally it. Like, it's just... You guys have nothing in common. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Like, it, it is what it is. It's like, you like football or hockey, and he's just like, bro, I just like books, my dude. Like, <laughs> get off me. Like, leave me alone. Um, He asked Johnny if he could if he could help him. Johnny asked to meet him. I have a, a thing that I want to bring up in the post show about something like that, where, like, my parents really tried to force sports onto me. Yeah. Mm. That ended great. Uh, Roger allows him, but suggests for them to go uh, go to his house, and uh, since Chris wouldn't come to there, Johnny denies, claiming that he doesn't he doesn't uh, do it this way. But Roger persists and pleads. Johnny agreeing. Roger is excited, offering to uh, to send him a car to pick him up the next day. If, I, if that were me, I'd be like, "You're sending me a car." Okay. Nice. Hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold what on, are the rates? How much you pay? Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, let's uh, let's see. My rates here are five thousand an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just surprised. starting from checking your son. Like, I'm surprised Johnny even said yes though. Prior to that, because uh, he was just like, please. He's like, all right. Yeah, <laughs> I think he low key misses teaching too. I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. I think that's exactly. Okay. I think what it's it is. him getting back into reality. Of that makes like, sense. Yeah, doing what he used to back right. in the day. I think it's exactly what it is, and I could see how you at this point in time, uh, Freddie, was getting a little bit bored because it's just now this is a different story. story. Yeah, and completely. you're just like, wait, what the fuck? What's happening? Like, we're done with Sheriff Bannerman now? Like, what, what's yeah. going on here? So it's it's very oddly paced. Mm-hmm. This movie, I will admit. Um, Johnny watches him get into his fancy ass car, then looks at the campaign sign of Greg Stilson uh, before drawing his shades. And I love that. I love that we get that name again. And yeah. you're kind of in your head. You're just like, where did I see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was from that earlier conversation that we yeah. got. Johnny pulls up to Roger's house. Roger is speaking with Greg about winning his last election, but pretty much being a sleaze. Johnny comes in. Roger excitedly greets him and introduces him to Greg and his campaign manager, Sonny. Before Greg leave, uh, leaves, uh, cracks one last joke about needing Roger's money. Roger apologizing about that, then brings him upstairs to meet Chris. I actually really like how Greg greets him because we kind of get that context of like, oh, they're almost about to touch hands. Yep. But instead, he just hands him a pen. Mm-hmm. And avoids all of that. Yeah. Right? Um, so great. Yeah. I think it's great. It also, you know, I was about to say, like, what was the reason reason for emphasizing this whole portion of the movie where, you know, Johnny meets Chris and yeah. tutors him. And I realized it's the context for meeting Greg Stilson. Greg Stilson. Yeah. Exactly. Because outside of that they wouldn't really have enough they would have never met context to meet yeah, yeah. Uh, and like you said I think that moment where he goes for a handshake but he gets handed a button instead is awesome it's amazing yeah. I, I think that's, that's good that's writing really, really great that, writing there I wonder if that's from the book or the actual script itself but Martin Sheen kills it in this role too he still yeah, he plays the perfect sleaze yeah, yeah. totally like, 100% it, seeing him great. so young in this too I was like this is the trip yeah I'm so used to him just with gray hair but very like charismatic always. very like carries himself very well yeah. his confidence is fucking Dude, off the charts he can fucking 
carry a scene. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god! Like uh, that casting scene for, for me is so magnificent for me. Like his his demise is beautiful to me. Yeah, it like is. He can really carry a scene and really evoke that emotion properly. He introduces Chris to him, but he doesn't pay. Uh, but he doesn't say anything. Just continues drawing. Roger leaves out of the room for uh, for them to get acquainted. Johnny tells him that he doesn't want. He doesn't know what to do. While sharing that Roger wants uh wants to help help get him out of his shell. Chris tells him that he doesn't have to do anything and that his dad is the one who lives in the shell, not him. Johnny laughs. Yeah, because your dad doesn't know who the fuck you are. Mm-hmm. He does shit like this. Mm-hmm. Roger is uh, watching Chris and Johnny conversing and laughing outside. Roger is impressed that his son has taken a liking to him so quickly. He pours himself a drink, offering Johnny a beer. He turns on the TV uh, to Greg, running the campaign on a group of people. Um... Roger asks if he's going to vote for him. Johnny smiles that he's not even registered. He tells Johnny to get registered and vote against Greg because he's dangerous. Greg continues his speech as Roger continues talking shit about him. Now, this is very important. Right. This is a really important conversation that's happening here. When he tells him that he's dangerous, this now sparks Johnny's interest into Greg. That is very true, yeah. Where before uh, Johnny was just like, all right, whatever. He's going to fucking run for senator. Yeah, like, he's not even right. sure to vote. Care. He doesn't care. Yeah. yeah, like I don't give a fuck. But when he says things like he's dangerous and he then explains upon that, that is that is where we get that great context of just like why he has such a fascination with Greg afterwards. Mm-hmm. Johnny doesn't understand because they acted like they were friends when he met him uh, this morning. Roger explains that he walks a thin line, so if he wins or loses. Got to a man named uh, Brenner coming into his office late, trying to turn on the light, but it won't come on. Greg turns on the light on his desk, showing that he and Sonny are sitting there. Sonny was fucking scary. Yeah. Like, I wasn't I was, expecting him to be a henchman. Yeah, right. <laughs> seriously. Like I was just like, damn, bro. Does a good job out of it too. He does. Yeah. Yeah. He asks what uh what he can do for them. Greg introduces himself. Brenner knowing who he is, telling them to leave. Johnny pushes him toward Greg. Greg tells him that he's neck and neck in in the polls and that he's going to win. He gets up, telling Brenner that he's had a vision that he's going to be uh be president someday, shattering a picture on the ground, shouting that nobody is going to stop him. He picks up the newspaper about Brenner. Brenner's editorial that is going to release tomorrow, knowing that he doesn't like him. He rips it, wanting wanting to make a deal with Brenner about him staying out of the campaign business, and Greg um, stays out of the publishing business. He tells Sonny to sh- uh, show him what they have have to publish. Sonny goes over to him, showing him a group of photos of him with someone else. He blackmails him, picking um, Sony picking up a picture of his wife and son. Brenner calls him a son of a bitch, knowing that uh, he has set, he was set up. Sonny is about to beat his ass, but Greg calls him off. Brenner asks if he's if he doesn't want to make a deal. Greg knows that he um he will make a deal, threatening him with Sonny. They leave. Greg and Johnny and Greg and Sonny cracks uh cracks jokes on their way out. Back with Johnny listening uh listening to Chris read, he stops Chris, asking him to um skip to another section to read. The doorbell buzzes. Johnny excuses himself to answer the door. I'm curious, does Johnny just teaches them how to read i think it's like english literature okay, maybe you know? yeah maybe he seems like an english teacher talking right. about like all of these like poems by edgar Allan poe and doing sleepy hollow right but real quick with like the whole scene that just happened with greg stilson stilson yeah. yeah um up to you guys i'm gonna ask you guys this question do you think he also has like the shining he had that real vision of him being the president greg stilson yeah 
Because oh, I he feel had like a prophecy of him becoming president came. I think he movie. actually envisioned it, and we do see that vision come to like reality yeah, too later on. I feel like he has that same type of ability. To be my honest. opinion uh, is that he may. Me personally, I think he doesn't actually have any psychic abilities, but there are people in this world where they they have a goal, they envision it, they truly believe it'll happen. Exactly. And I think that's the energy that this character like presents. I mean, him being such a sleaze and knowing how to kind of do shit like this, in his eyes, he's like, no matter what, I'm cheating my way to get there. Yeah. Right. No matter what. Like, uh, this is how I'm going to get there and this is what I'm going to do. Um, And it's interesting. And and you, you, you hear people say stupid shit and this is not in the movie. This is more so just in the context of just film buffs in general, they say dumb shit as like, keep politics out of horror films and yada, yada, yada. Obviously, this is really on the surface of politics and how sleazy and scandalous it is, but it's great. It's great to kind of see this type of context because I love love seeing this type of stuff. I love seeing like this side of this kind of political uh, capture. Yeah, and and decades to come, like as this movie continues to get older and older, I think uh, yeah. people will be able to to relate because of the aspect of politics in it. Because, you know, I think politics will always have its ups and downs. Yeah. And that definitely reigns supreme for 2016's election for us. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, it is a man named Walt campaigning for Greg, going over what Greg stands for as a candidate. Johnny doesn't care, asking for him to come back since he has uh, has a student at, at the moment. Walt asks to leave him a brochure, um, and he accepts it. Calling over his wife to bring the brochures, it is Sarah walking up to the door. My heart would have fucking dropped. Yeah. Right. I would have been like, cool, you're Walt. <laughs> Great. This sucks. This feels awesome. It's it's. A- By the way, I fucked your wife. No, like... like- <laughs> <laughs> it's a great reveal. I think. It is a great reveal. Then it comes up. It's like, hey, dad. Oh, to, my God. To, to him. To him. That would be yeah. hilarious. Uh, she, uh, she's hesitant for a moment, but she greets him, asking him if he, um, if he's living here now. It's interesting. I, I, in that moment, I always, or not always, excuse me, I, I thought that she would uh, like ignore the fact that she knew him. Right. Like it kind of felt like that at first. Like, yeah. here's your brochure, sir, and like we've never met. Before. I think it's a smarter move to go about it the way she did. I agree, and clearly, like, I think even without Walt saying it, I, he was already like mad jealous. I, I was gonna say, I think it's could be very clear in, in assuming that like she's spoken about him to him. It's yeah. absolutely. absolutely. He brings it up I mean, too. She, she probably was very much just like, you know, I had this boyfriend. He got he in got a into coma. a coma. Exactly. Like, we was gonna bang and he hit a car. So. <laughs> he tells him that <laughs> he tells him that he is and that um he's back to teaching. She introduces him to Walt. Walt seems a little jealous to um to meet him, adding that um that Sarah speaks about him all the time. And <laughs> I'm sure that made him feel a little happy. Chris comes down the stairs asking for him to come back up, uh, which felt odd to me. Yeah, it's really it felt slightly me, sexual. Yeah, it makes me very uncomfortable. I think movies from like before the 90s and onwards it, like there's too much physical intimacy between like grown men and young boys and it always yeah. has always made me feel so uncomfortable this felt weird yeah this it's... felt weird like i i i very when when he came down and i was just like why do you say it like that <laughs> like, yeah. just, he was like johnny come back up it's just weird like, yeah don't let me read alone yeah don't it's let like, me read alone yeah and it was like I've, again, it's I, weird. I find a lot of <laughs> movies from the 80s, 70s, and so on that 
yeah. have has this energy and I hate it. Right. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Johnny introduces him to both of them. He, uh, Walt allows him to get back to work, Sarah handing him the brochure before they go. He closes the door, Chris asking who was that. Johnny begins to cry, Chris asking why he's crying, jo- uh, Johnny hugging Chris. Johnny has a vision of him um, and his hockey teammates drowning. Chris asks what's wrong, Johnny's saying that it is nothing. A horn honking outside, Chris knowing that it is his ride, Johnny telling him that he's going, he's going with him. Cut to them. Um, cut to them making it back to Roger's house. Roger is outside with a guy handing handing him hockey equipment. He organized a hockey team for Chris and uh, his friends as their first practice is today. Johnny tells him to call it off because there is going to be an accident. Roger tells him that um, he's been looking forward to this all week. They go inside. Um, they go inside the house. Johnny, knowing about the accident, reiterating the call to call off the practice. Uh, Roger tells him that they're. Um, that they go on the pond until March. Um, Johnny yells if he if he wants to kill his son, and Chris is scared. He's like, Daddy, I'm scared. <laughs> um, Roger tells Chris to leave the room. Johnny asking uh, if he knows who he is. He does, adding that he profiled him before coming into his son's life. He is about to continue his reasons for on hiring him. Johnny breaks a jar on the table, yelling that yelling that the ice is going to break. Roger points points to him that he um, wants him to get out of there and for Chris to listen to him. Chris sides with Johnny um, on it not being safe. Roger agrees, but um, is, is final in his decision on firing Johnny. He apologizes, adding that he's not crazy asking for Chris's hand. He shakes Chris's hand, telling him that he's uh, he was right about his dad. Chris smiles and Johnny leaves. Chris is upstairs on his computer. Roger um, comes into his room, asking him what's going on and wondering why he isn't dressed for practice. He thought um, he thought it was called off. Roger blaming it, uh, blaming it on getting Johnny to leave, gaslighting his son to come outside to play hockey. Chris turns back around to go on his computer and Roger leaves out of his room. Great. Like, I'm glad that he at least like understood that his son didn't want to play. Yeah, but it was so weird. They was just like, all right, I'm gonna still throw this for these kids, though. Yeah, that was very weird, and I really thought we would have seen something along the lines of um, Chris's dad forcing him to go anyways, and right, it would have and happened, him killing his son. Yeah, but I, it would have guess, been more impactful that way. Yeah, but, it would have been, but that would have been a different story. Yeah, because right. this allows Johnny to see that he can he change. Can the change it exactly. Back with Johnny walking with a bag of groceries, picking up the paper, seeing that two kids have drowned in a skating accident. He uh, calls Roger, but he doesn't answer. Chris comes into the room, answering the phone for him. Johnny doesn't say anything and is relieved to hear Chris's voice. Cut to Greg's campaign speech, beginning to start with a marching band. Johnny is lying on his couch, listening to the sound of the band outside. He gets up, looking out of the window, spotting Sarah getting out of her car. Johnny comes out of his house, rushing over as fast as he can because he's limping and shit. Um, And he does this limp like really good with this cane. Right. Like it, it's, it's very believable. It's super believable. Like I'm like my dude looks in pain. Like <laughs> he does not look like he's having a good time. He looks around for Sarah trying to make it over to her. Greg pulls up to the crowd shaking his hands with a smile. Johnny is still looking around for her as the people chant for Stilson. Um and it's interesting cuz like Stilson comes in and he like randomly kisses some lady on the lips. It's disgusting. Yeah, he uh so he like, kisses multiple oh. women and then this was a thing for politics back yeah. then like men would go around and kiss women and kiss babies and it's like that's so fucking weird and gross yeah. to me. It's fucking weird. It's fucking weird. Also all white people at this thing. That's yes. true. That's a good call out. Yes. Yes, there is. 
I've come to the conclusion that there's only white people that live in Maine. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he walks he walks through the uh, crowd straight to Johnny, shaking his hand and Johnny um, holding it uh, for a bit longer. He has the vision of Greg scanning his hand on a case, telling the general to, quote unquote, do it. And this is fucking fascinating because this goes back to what Roger was saying. Like, this dude is dangerous. Yeah. So he gets curious here. At this point in time, he doesn't give a fuck about Greg. He sees Sarah, which entices him to go there. And he's yep. just like, let me just check. Yeah. Like, let me just see if what he says is true. Mm -hmm. And then he's just like, fuck, it is true. This dude's fucking dangerous. The general telling him that he won't, but Greg demands him to place his hand on place his hand on it to go down in history with them. He doesn't want he doesn't want to, not wanting to go down in the world's greatest mass murderer. Greg calls for, calls him a coward, yelling that he is um, the voice of the people, saying that um, this came to him in his sleep and he needed to fulfill his destiny. He threatens the general to put his hand on the scanner. The general does so, asking for forgiveness from God. Greg shakes his, ha his hand, Sonny asking him to complete the sequence. He does so, placing his hand on the scanner and putting in the code, calling it the destiny before uh, pressing the red button. Sonny um, shakes his hand, Greg thinking... Greg thanking him before telling the troops to allow the cabinet members to come inside. His vice president comes up to him, telling him that uh, they found a diplomatic solution to the problem. Greg tells him that he already launched the missiles. Back to the present. Sonny ripping his hand away from Johnny. Cut to Johnny um, speaking with Wezak. Uh, I want to call him Wozniak so bad. Wezak um, about being about being able to go back in time before. Uh, in time before Hitler, um, knowing what he knew and what would he do, asking Wazak if he would have killed him. He wonders if this is the reason why Johnny asked him over. Johnny tells him that he had another vision, sharing that he saw Chris die, but he claims that there was uh, something missing, something that he couldn't see, calling it a dead zone. <laughs> Wazak asks if Chris drowned. Johnny tells him that he talked his dad out of playing hockey and he's still alive. Wazak is intrigued, telling him that he can not only see see the future, but he can also change it. He calls Johnny's dead, Johnny's dead zone him being able to alter his premonitions. Johnny brings back up the question about Hitler. Wazak is conflicted, but he claims that he, um, that he doesn't have a choice but to kill him. Johnny sits down, telling him that he would never um, get away alive. Wazak tells him that it doesn't matter. He would still kill him. Johnny goes inside his parents' house to grab a gun and bullets. Uh, he looks at an old photo of his mom and dad, but moves it, moves it, uh, moves it out of the way to work on the gun. Uh, he's on a bus heading to claim his destiny, writing a note to Sarah. It reads, quote, Dear Sarah, this is a hard letter to write, so, I tr so I'll try to make it short. I can't go into hiding anymore. That's what I've been doing, running and hiding. You know. I had this all figured out all wrong. I always, th I always thought this power of mine was a curse, but I see it now as a gift. Anyway, by the time you get this letter, it will all be over. You never will understand why. I know I'm doing, I know, excuse me, I know what I'm doing and I know I'm right. Just remember, there's never been any, anyone for, for me except for you. Just wasn't in our cards for us, I guess. I'll always love you, Sarah. Johnny, end quote. I would have loved for Johnny's dad to walk in while he grabbed the gun and him be like, yo, son, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. You know, like, well, he and, lives in a different uh, town now, too. He does, but he went to his dad's house, didn't he? Oh, I, sure. I yeah, don't know I if that so. was the case. Yeah, like I, I think he went to his parents' house to get Got the it. gun and it would have been great for his dad to be like, what do you need that for? Or, yeah. you know, something like that. And had like a kind of conflicting moment of trying to talk him out. Maybe, of yeah. Whatever he was trying I wonder to if do. it's in the book. 
Maybe. Um, I think there's good context when Johnny's asking Dr. Wozniak um, if he would kill Hitler and Johnny responding with, you'll never make it out alive. Yeah. And, um, you know, he says it doesn't matter if he's worth it. Right. Um, it adds significance to to Johnny's life that he imposes on, on himself because he knows he's dying right. and he wants his, his short life to have meaning an impactful, impactful meaning and yeah. uh, for him to also control his destiny yeah. um, because all this bad has happened to him, right? Um, but he realizes that uh, for one life, he could save many. Yeah. Um, and that's that's very impactful and it, and it comes up to the to what I had brought up earlier in the episode of that that situation that can be be placed on you in modern times of like if you if you know someone's gonna be responsible for the loss of so many lives would you take the responsibility and the action to to end that person it's 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 a very powerful question and scenario to to review so um and it, it's untastefully here i think I, I agree. Yeah. And I, I even want to kind of add to that where I feel like most people who would probably get asked a question such as this one would probably be like, they'll all probably say yes, but, but it, in, it, reality, in reality, yeah. like what they really, yeah, like because if you were really faced with this. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why it's, there's so much meaning behind Johnny saying to his doctor, you'd never get out alive. Right. But Johnny already knows his life is finite and short and coming to an end. And even in the beginning of the movie, we understand that he's not very much afraid of death because when yeah. he was having his interviews, he asked that one reporter, what, you want to know you want to die? We're all going to die. I'm going to die. Yeah. You right. know? He's comfortable he's, with it. Yeah. Right. He's comfortable with the idea of death. And there's also that passage that he speaks to Sarah on um, his favorite piece of literature where he's like, I think the context of the quote is more so along, line, along the lines of like, um, I am, if I am on my own and no one is there to rely on me or look right. toward me, um, I can go in peace. Yeah. Knowing that I'm I'm not bringing anyone else down if I were to to pass on. Yeah, which so, makes total sense. Yeah, good good context throughout the film, even though a lot of it is rushed. Right. He gets off to the bus, walking up to a building with a gun um, wrapped in a tarp. The sign saying that Greg will be there tomorrow at 10 a.m. Johnny keeps moving, trying for the front for the building, but it is locked. He breaks the glass into the building where uh, Gary is. What? Oh, yeah, where Gary is going to be, or excuse me, not Gary, Greg, um, is going to be. He uh, awakes upstairs. Who the fuck is Gary? He wakes upstairs <laughs> when he hears the chatter of the people filling up the room. Greg arrives. Johnny starts prepping, dropping some of the bullets on the ground below. And uh, first just, of all, my whole concept is just like, damn, why do you need so many bullets? Yeah. Secondly, it's just like, how did no one fucking like hear like right. see a bully or like look up or whatever you know what I'm, saying? I'm actually not surprised by that that's I mean, movie intention yeah. building no. yeah, that's like true that. he's gonna get caught it's, it's all for <laughs> why don't you load that before <laughs> that was yeah, how much time page in probably the that like probably the was falling off and yeah. freaking out and, probably yeah it probably was greg is greeting is greeting and thanking everyone for the for their applause the gun has jammed as johnny continues adding bullets greg is introduced uh, to walt um, by sarah he uh kisses her 
excuse me, he kisses her crying son. That baby was like not digging this scene at all. <laughs> he knows what's to come. <laughs> he was like, the oh, baby fuck. was psychic. Yeah. <laughs> telling them that I'm telling them to come on stage with him. Johnny finally gets the gun loaded as they head towards the stage, chanting Greg's name. The, they make it to the stage, Greg holding his hand out, accepting the applause and calming them down. He thanks them and begins his speech on the campaign. Johnny holds his head, um, uh, then springs up to make the shot. Sarah, Sarah screaming his name. Johnny takes a shot but misses. He takes Denny, using him as a fucking shield. What a fucking as monster! Sonny aims his gun up at Johnny. Oh my god! Oh, that is a chunky. He has baby. no hesitation to like grab yeah, that kid. Zero too. hesitation, and I honestly feel legit bad for that child. So do I. Right in that moment because that baby's like, what the. Fuck, dude! <laughs> like, yo, fuck off! It's me. terrible. And like, if you look on Johnny's face when he sees, yeah, when he that, sees that, he's he like, grabs oh, Denny. Shit. Oh my god! And then, it, and he like he puts the gun up. He's like, I'm not gonna shoot, right? Right. But it's so terrible because Greg is just staring down Johnny, and yeah. and all he cares about is protecting himself to the fact that he like use a baby as a body shield. That's right. so fucking terrible. The dope shit about this scene and the context behind this scene that's fucking dope as shit is that there's so much going on in here. We almost missed the flash of the camera. Yeah. Sarah takes him back. Johnny is about to fire again. Sonny shooting him in the hand and then in his chest. I was like, God damn, Sonny could shoot. Yeah, bro. Uh, he falls off the balcony. Greg running up to him and grabbing him, asking who sent him. Johnny grabs his hand, smiling at the future of Greg. Um, once again, um, I, I kind of fucked that one up. Uh, Johnny uh, grabs his hand, um, smiling at the future of Greg when Greg picks up the pistol as he as his face is printed on Newsweek magazine holding Denny as a fucking shield. Greg takes the gun, then kills himself. Blood splattering on top of the Newsweek. Fucking fantastic. I agree. And I, I want to bring this up. Excuse me. Uh, I wonder if the novel plays with the idea of Johnny being raised religious and seeing the fact of taking someone's life as a sin, right? And maybe there is confliction if he should do it or not because he's yeah. taking someone's life and who knows, maybe leads to damnation. Yeah. I wonder if... I think that's what the co the conversation for uh, Wezak was Yeah, for, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if Johnny's revealed about how everything went down and seeing this vision because he's like, I didn't have to take someone's life. Yeah. That's a lot of weight, even though I'm going to go. Cause maybe he planned on killing himself right, after yeah. or something. But like, I think Johnny sees a lot of relief in yeah. this vision. I agree. Uh, and you see it through the acting as well. I, I wonder agree. if the novel plays on mm -hmm. that. Yeah. I'm curious now. Johnny whispers that it is over and he's finished. Greg throws back, uh, throws him back down on the ground. He shakes Sonny asking about the guy taking pictures, but he didn't see him. <laughs> I didn't see him. Greg calls him an asshole as he storms out of the room. Sarah goes up to Johnny, sobbing as she asks why. She uh, she hugs him as he whispers goodbye in her ear, and she whispers that she st that she loves him in his. He dies as she sobs on his body. Then credits. It's emotional ending. It is. Straight I actually to love credits. that ending. I do too. I, I, yeah, I gotta I go straight to credits. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. God damn, dude. The I, ending, I very much enjoy this movie. The, yeah, the ending makes the whole movie worth it to me 
I agree. Yeah, I don't think so. That's why I'm like happy I watched it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. I I I, re- I very much enjoy this movie. But I got some motherfucking movie facts for us here. Movie, movie facts. facts. Director David Cronenberg had to reshoot the scene in which John Smith has his uh, first premonition. It showed a little girl's room burning, and a small ET doll could have been seen on one of the shelves. The scene had to be reshot when Universal Pictures threatened to file a lawsuit against them. Oh damn! Wow, that little ET doll turned into the bunny. Oh, no. <laughs> David Cronenberg fired a uh, uh, three. Or, wow, oh my gosh! David Cronenberg fired a magnum loaded with blanks just off camera to make Smith's uh, flinches seem more involuntary. Whoa! This was Christopher Walken's own idea. Wow! I love that. That's awesome. That makes sense. Why there's inconsistency of other actors responding right. as well because it was like it's sometimes people will be like bleh, bleh, and yeah. then sometimes not so exactly like sense. some people probably like overheard like oh shit it's coming dog yeah. it's coming uh, the film and Stephen King's novel are both loosely based on upon the life of a famous psychic Peter Hukros Hukros claimed to have acquired his alleged powers after falling off a ladder and hitting his head oh the Dead Zone was the first of several Stephen King novels and short stories that took place in the fictional small town of Castle Rock. Others being Cujo, Stand By Me, The Dark Half, and Evil Things. It's really cool. I love that stuff like that. Cool. Um, I would have loved a, a Stand By Me reference in here, too. <laughs> it would have been nice. Um, like just a reference like, oh, did you hear about that body they found near the train tracks or something? Mm, yeah. Kind of cool. Or like something about the dog for Cujo. Uh, the sweat on Christopher Walken's face during the burning bedroom sequence was the fact uh, a flame ret- uh, re- retardant chemical that had been sprayed onto him. The resulting effect, which had um, been anticipated, looking surprisingly dramatic on film. That's fucking awesome. Damn. Wow. That's scary. He had to actually pee there. Yeah. <laughs> there are several deleted scenes that were filmed and complete and completed, but have never been seen public publicly and are thought to have more discarded prior to the film's release. Among them, a prologue showing John Smith as a boy um, who sustains a head injury during an ice hockey match. The scene features actor Sean Sullivan as John's father, an alternate scene of John Smith's vision of the uh, camp of the of the Camp David scene featuring Martin Sheen in which John himself appears in the vision as helpless as a helpless spectator. Photos of these scenes appeared on the December 1983 issue of Cine Fantastique. That's very That's interesting. so fucking interesting. And I love when back in the day, like the only remnants of that evidence is like a photo in a magazine. Right. Mm-hmm. That's so cool to me. That's so cool. Differences between the television show and this movie. Johnny and Sarah never had a son. Um, huh. The sheriff's um, first name is George and never married Sarah. Uh, Sarah's husband is named Walter. Um, Johnny Smith's, which Walt, Walter, yeah, come on. Uh, Johnny Smith's parents are still alive when he wakes up, but his mother dies afterwards of a stroke. Johnny dies. Johnny tutored, um, and this is the movie, by the way. Johnny tutored after uh, waking up from his coma. Johnny's teaching subject was literature. Um, well, there we go. Johnny has this very specific vision of Greg Stilson as president actually pushing the button that launches nuclear missiles, so he's completely sure that Stilson is responsible. Sheriff Bannerman approaches a reluctant Johnny who doesn't want to help at first. No mention of Johnny ever playing hockey. The television series. Gene Purdy, Dana Bright, and Bruce are characters made for the show. Johnny's father died when he was a boy and his mother committed suicide while Johnny was in a coma. Fuck. That's fucked up. I think in the beginning of that um, fact, I think you said Johnny and Sarah never had a son. Do you mean Walt and Sarah never had a son? No, it says Johnny and Sarah. Never had a son? Yeah. So 
but they didn't in the movie either. Yeah. I wonder if the novel. I'm sure. Maybe. Weird. Yeah. Had to have been, right? Yeah. I guess. I uh, Johnny had a, he- a head injury playing a hockey as a boy. Johnny also... O- Johnny only tutored in one episode. Johnny teaches the subject was... Johnny's teaching subject was actually science. Johnny has a huh. vision of a nuclear uh, war when he touches Greg Stilson's uh, Greg Stilson, but his vision doesn't show Greg causing it, so he isn't completely sure. Mm. And Johnny never has a vision That's of Stilson being president. Yeah. In fact, Stilson never becomes president. He only makes it as far as vice president. Johnny approaches a skeptical sheriff Ber- uh, Bannerman who doesn't think Johnny can help, and Johnny actually played hockey as a boy. Hmm. Damn. Interesting. Uh, let's do one more here. Um, let's do this one here. The novel The Dead Zone was re- was released two years before the book Cujo, but the film Cujo was released about two months before this one. The book Cujo is a follow-up to Dead Zone and, uh, and the first of Stephen King's books to make direct references to one another. In Cujo, which also takes place in Castle Rock, Frank Dodd has become a... C- has become a kind of boogeyman to Castle Rock's children. It is implied that Dodd's spirit has possessed Cujo, or at least the force that made Dodd evil has inhabited the dog. Sheriff Bannerman returns played by Sandy Ward and makes direct uh, references to Johnny in the events of the Dead Zone. As the films were made by different studios and released in reverse order, all references to each other were removed to save for Bannerman's appearance. Damn. Wow. That's fascinating. That's sick. That is I love that. I love that too. Let's do one more. In the final scene, when Sarah is crying and hugging Johnny, we hear um, her stop crying for a few seconds to tell Johnny that she loves him. But since her mouth is obscured, we don't actually see her say it. The original uh, script did not have her saying this. Her voice was dubbed in later in order to have some closure for Johnny. I feel like uh, the entire first portion of the film before that car accident was all dubbed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But man, that was a blast. Let us know what you think over on Twitter at nightlight underscore pod. That's night with a K. What you think about the dead zone. Let's definitely keep this conversation going. It's motherfucking Stevie King's birthday month. Let's keep this shit going because we're keeping it going for two whole months because the next movie that we are going to be covering is one of my personal favorites. Salem's Lot. Wow. I'm so very excited for you all to see this because it's technically not a movie. It's a miniseries, but fuck it. We're calling it a movie. But anyway, that is the next movie that we are going to be watching. Definitely let us know on Twitter with all the excitement behind Stephen King every night. Because this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knights. Alongside me, we had David. Stay spooky, everyone. Stay spooky, always and forever. Also known as Nightly Other in there, we got Freddy. Always keeping it spooky. Always and forever. Also known as Nighty Night. Our efforts to get the show out is not enough. We need your help to spread it out to more ghoulish nights. Ready goes with five stars is very helpful, but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone who would actually enjoy it. You can find the support the show over on patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife. That's not what they will. Yeah. Popular Patreon. You have access to the show at free and early as Monday with the post show involved. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlight. <laughs>